Whenever I do premarital counseling with a young couple, uh, one of the questions I always ask is, how did you learn to handle conflict? In your family growing up, how were conflicts addressed? Because that's a key factor in how we're going to handle conflict moving forward into marriage. And I could ask the same question for all of us today. It applies to all of us. Maybe in your family, conflict was dealt with very loudly. The volume went up, accusation, name-calling, door-slamming, things like that. Or maybe for you, conflict went unaddressed. Things were very quiet, unspoken. But of course, everyone was walking around on eggshells. Nobody really knew what to say or do. We all know there's a problem, but nobody wants to talk about it. Well, here's the truth. Conflict is one of the great revealers of dysfunction. Uh, in my younger days, I might have left the house in a huff and screeched off in my pickup truck to try to prove a point. Uh, I've also been known to hold stuff inside, quietly, and just let it simmer in bitterness. Uh, I've shifted blame. I've retreated into self-pity. I've done it all. I'm sure you have too. Because we're all sinners, and we can't let that fact escape us. We don't, nobody handles conflict neutrally and righteously. No, we're all sinners. And when the heat gets turned up in relationships, when difficulties arise, the impurities rise with it. The stuff comes up to the surface. It would be lovely if we could just remove conflict altogether. I know we all wish that we could, but that's not an option, right? Because we're sinners. And therefore, there has to be a better way. Conflict has to be resolved. It must be resolved in the right way. And that's one of the blessings of being a church. Not that the church gets it right all the time. I mean, I hope that we get it right even half the time. But here's the, the, here's the ideal new reality. To be a church of Jesus means that our handling of conflict can actually shed light on the gospel. It's not just interpersonal stuff between two people or, or a group. There's actually a greater gospel witness taking place within the church, or at least there can be. And so what we're going to see today in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to see how Paul addresses conflict within the church, at least one particular conflict, and hopefully we'll get a, a, a sense of a template for how it's meant to be done. We're going to get a sense of how we're meant to do it as well. Uh, this is not an issue that we can just whistle on past. Um, this is an issue that, that continually comes up uh, personally. We all have conflict in our lives. Uh, but it also comes up within the church. And Christians personally should abide by these things, of course. But we as a church ought to be committed to these things as of first importance. We will not fight, nor will we uh, flight, retreat. We're not going to crush conflict. We're also not going to run from it. We're going to resolve it in a way that is loving and honoring to Jesus. Now, two quick points up front. <clears throat> this sermon right here is not in response to a present conflict within our church. <laughs> uh, this is just the scripture that we're in 
This is Philippians 4 as we go through the, uh, the letter. Okay, so I don't want you to be wondering if I'm, you know, passively, aggressively making a point here. I'm not. Uh, but more importantly, y'all, there are a thousand different manifestations of conflict. Some are fairly light. Some are very heavy. There's no way to address all possible scenarios in a sermon. I'm not going to try. Instead, what I'm going to try to do is teach the scripture that's in front of us and give some supporting principles that will guide us. But y'all, especially in matters of heavier, more hurtful, more difficult conflict, um, we, we, don't, we don't give pat answers. We don't put band-aids on. Uh, you may have need of, of counsel in a specific issue or in a, in a specific problem. I want you to know that I'm here for you. Our elders are here for you. We have good counselors that we can um, refer you to. Uh, we want to help. Uh, and so please, if, if there's a heavy conflict at, at work in your life right now, um, don't let anything that I say somehow... Uh, diminish it, because I'm going to be speaking in general, um, please reach out for specific guidance, encouragement, counsel, and help. Um, and, and just trust that we're here for you. Okay? Uh, and so we speak generally and specifically uh, about Paul's issue, but um, uh, just know that, that things that require special attention, the church is here. We're here. So please uh, let us know if we can be a help to you. Um, but take a look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul, if we've been paying real close attention, uh, Paul has been alluding to a need for humility and unity all throughout this letter. Um, specifically, well, I mean all throughout, specifically early on in chapter 2, he makes a clear reference to a need for unity. Um, well, now we see why. Not that the general call to unity is unimportant. It's, it's very important. But Paul was uh, hinting, I think, a little bit at, at what we're going to see today. He's going to get more specific. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, I urge Euodia and I urge Suntake, that is how you say it, I looked it up. I urge Euodia and I urge Suntake to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Uh, these three verses break down nicely into three points. Preachers love when that happens. Uh, three things that we need to do, more than just resolve conflict, but to actually glorify Jesus through it, to actually become more loving to one another through conflict. We need these three things. Love, grace, and community. Okay? And we're going to see that together verse by verse. Look again with me at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. 
Now, Paul is about to address a problem. He's about to name names. But you see how he does it. He does it from a place of love and affection and friendship. My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown. That's how he speaks of the Philippians. These people are precious to him. And the conflict at hand does not involve Paul. Paul is not the offending party or the offended party. He's more of like a mediator here. But in his appeal, he wants to set the right tone. He says, my beloved, two times. And it really reads grammatically kind of strangely. He's intentionally redundant. He tacks on my beloved at the end a second time because he wants them to know the posture of this conflict resolution. And his command is that you all stand firm in the Lord. Which means, listen, conflict is not a time for us to set aside our faith so that we can get down to business. Conflict is not a time to, to you know, step away from Jesus. No, it's a time to draw closer to Jesus, to stand more firmly on Jesus. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes a paragraph on the things that make for conflict. Things like lying, theft, anger, sinful speech. He gives a list. But his goal is not merely to, to show us the bad stuff, but to show us how that stuff may be now redeemed and reversed in Christian community, in the church. And it's all built on love. I want you to see how Paul concludes this thought. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. He's given us the things that make for conflict, but look at this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Put away all the twisted and evil attitudes that produce conflict, that produce harm, and put on instead a heart of kindness and tenderness, a heart of forgiveness in light of the forgiveness that God has granted to us. Now, the, con the context here is, is conflict between fellow believers. And the message is clear. We who share the common bond of God's forgiveness in Christ. It doesn't mean that we're never going to experience conflict or hurt or disagreement. No, remember, we're sinners. We're going to conflict. But it does mean if we share Christ together, it means that our baseline is love. We never are, are, we're never removed from that foundation, from that starting point, from that expectation. Our baseline is love. Our starting point is kindness and tenderness rather than bitterness and malice. And y'all, what makes this so difficult is our nature. Uh, it's, it's in our human nature to make enemies out of one another. Even people we actually love and care for, even our own spouses, family sometimes, we create scenarios where we are enemies, we're against each other. And that's how we tend to conflict. We dig in our heels. We tell ourselves the narrative 
that makes us feel justified, we insist in our own way, I'm going to win this battle. That's what we do. But Paul insists on a different narrative, a new narrative. We are beloved brethren. We are the beloved family of God. That's our baseline. That's who we are to begin with, and therefore that ought to guide our communication, our struggle, our resolution. It all ought to be founded upon love. That's a non-negotiable new reality for us. And so here's a question. How many of my personal conflicts would cease to exist, they would be resolved, if I was committed to kindness and tender-hearted forgiveness? Regardless of what the other person says or does, if my baseline, if my commitment was to kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, what would happen? Now, imagine that both people, or in the case of a group of people, if everyone had that attitude. Imagine that. Because that's how the church is meant to function. Where the baseline is love, conflict, will be resolved because the commitment is to see it through in love. But that's just point one, okay? We also need grace, love and grace. Look with me at verse two, the specifics. And there aren't really many specifics here, but he says, I urge Euodia and Suntike to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, who are these people? And what exactly is the problem? We don't know much. Right? Paul doesn't give us specifics. And it makes sense because Philippians is a letter of friendship. There's a very deep personal relationship between Paul and this church. And so Paul understands the conflict, and certainly everyone in the church would have known what the conflict was, which is why Paul makes mention of it in the letter. The details are irrelevant for our sake. Everybody would have already known. That's why I think he leaves them out. But here's what we can assume. I think fairly safely, here's what we can assume. These are two women who truly love the Lord. Uh, we see it in the next verse, how Paul commends them for the way that they ministered alongside him in the past. They love the Lord. They have suffered for the gospel. Um, and it would seem, at least in my study, it seems that when Paul tells them to live in harmony in the Lord, that their conflict was not some personal dispute. It was probably some kind of conflict over ministry in the church. It was some kind of conflict in regards to living out their faith. Uh, that is to say, these two women are both committed to serving the Lord but they're in disagreement over the what and the how. Uh, now, that's speculative, I know. But I do want to caution us right here, and I want you to forgive me for a short rabbit trail, um, but I don't want this to be unsaid. Here, The scenario in Philippians 4, two women are at odds in the church. 
Now, some people would use this as an opportunity to crack a joke. Oh, they must be arguing over the color of the carpet. Uh, they must have both brought the same dish to the potluck, and they're mad at each other. Right? Um, and, and jokes like that sometimes can ring true, because the truth is, a lot of times we do have conflict over silly things. Uh, inside the church and out. I mean, sometimes we conflict over just foolish things. Um, but let's, let's be very careful here to understand that when Paul addresses these two women by name, it's the opposite of some silly conflict. Um, Paul is not shaming these women. He's not diminishing their struggle. But when he mentions them by name, he's actually esteeming them. He's expressing to the whole church how important Euodia and Syntyche are and how important it is that they live in harmony together because these are two women who are leaders in the church. They, they are women who have suffered for the spread of the gospel right alongside the apostles. And that's why Paul appeals to them in this way. He's not saying, hey, cut it out, you two. He's not cracking a joke, you know, about, about the, the silliness of all this. No, he's saying, Euodia, Suntike, the church, the church needs you to be unified here. Your harmony in the Lord is too important for us to ignore it or pretend it away. And so Paul calls upon them directly to resolve this thing in a spirit of grace. Um we should not assume that this conflict in the church was, was over trivial matters. It was, it was important enough for Paul to bring it up, and these two women are important enough for Paul to name. The church needs you two to be strong and united together. Um, and that's why I use the word grace as our second point. The word grace doesn't show up in this scripture, but y'all, what grace means, grace is a gift of favor. It's a gift of favor that, that I don't necessarily deserve, and yet I'm treated with favor as a gift of grace. That's what the word is. And grace in, in the midst of conflict means me getting my way is never the point. Me being right is not the goal. It can't be the goal. It's, it's entirely possible that these two women are disputing over good things. There may be two very good things that they cannot come into agreement on. It's not necessarily a matter of right versus wrong. And so Paul is calling them to grace because grace values unity over division. Look at what Paul writes elsewhere. This is Colossians chapter 3. Um, I'm going to read the full paragraph here because it's too important to leave any of it out. This is Colossians 3, verse 12. Paul says, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, 
which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Unresolved conflict, unforgiveness, and division are inevitable where grace is absent. But where grace is abundant, there will always be, in the end, harmony, peace, forgiveness, and love. Not because we never have conflict, but because when we have conflict, we hold the grace of Jesus up the highest. Nothing else gets priority for us. It's grace through and through. And again, this is the problem with this is it's, it's, it works opposite our nature, right? In conflict, we don't typically um, shoot through our conflict with love nor with grace. And so think about it again. If, if I'm having a personal conflict with someone or if I'm having conflict in disagreement with a group, what is my natural goal? How can I get my way? How can I be vindicated? Uh, how can I be proven right? How can I settle the score? How can I make this person look foolish? Uh, who else can I recruit to take my side and strengthen my case? How can I prevail here? Isn't that our nature in conflict? I want to win. But grace doesn't ask those kind of questions. Grace only asks, how can Jesus prevail in my heart? How can Jesus bring harmony and love between us? How can Jesus be glorified through all of this? That we all might be better off. See, Christians are meant to address conflict from a baseline of love and with a commitment to grace, to, to the gift of favor. It's not about me winning. It's about us reconciling and Jesus being glorified. It's got to be built on love and grace. And then thirdly, lastly, we're meant to address it together in community. Look at verse 3. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have, struggled, who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, it is not at all clear who this true companion is. Uh, it's obvious that this is a person in Philippi uh, whom Paul respects and trusts to help bring unity here. But we don't know who it is. Whoever it is, they would have known who they were. Nobody would be looking around the room thinking, well, who in the world is the true companion? They would have known who it was. Um, but it's not really clear why, this, why Paul singles out, uh, or who this man is. And it's not all, at all clear why Paul also singles out a man named Clement, except perhaps to give context to something that happened in the past. Um, in verse 3, Paul is making reference to the past, right? These women shared with me in the, my struggle in the gospel, as did Clement and the rest, whose names are written in the book of life. Paul, when he came to Philippi 10 years prior to share Christ, 
The people who became Christians then joined in the ministry, sharing with him in his struggle. And so he's appealing to what has happened beforehand. And it seems like Paul is, there's like a a special appeal here, as if Paul is saying, listen, I know what we've been through together. I know what kind of people you are. I trust that you will come to loving and gracious unity in this. Um, But there's a point at which, when, when Paul calls the church to get involved, this kind of flies in the face of our modern sensibilities, or even just our, our human nature. Because if people are experiencing conflict, that's nobody else's business, right? Or it's it's only for us to gossip about, but not to actually interfere with. <laughs> um, and I hate to laugh at that, but that's that's the truth. We, we can talk about it, but we just don't need to get involved. And again, that's our, that, that's wrong. Uh, that Paul says, no, church, you get involved. You, t- you take a, a decisive role in this. You help. And, and let's be careful real quickly to, to distinguish. There are a great many conflicts that are personal and should be handled personally and even privately. Okay, If my wife Jennifer and I are experiencing some normal marital conflict, that's not for the whole church to address. There's no reason for the church to be involved in that. Um, and, and I hope we understand that, that not, we're not airing all of our grievances all the time in front of the church. That would be very unhealthy and unnecessary. Um, and I suspect that if Euodia and Suntake, if they were just two friends who were upset over some minor personal issue, Paul probably would have never even known about it. Uh, and I, and I don't think he would have brought it up in this letter. And that's why I'm, I'm prone to think that this, this issue was ministry-related. This affected the church in, in a sincere way. And that's why Paul calls the church to respond in the pursuit of unity. And so the church is not responsible for handling all manner of personal conflicts. But there are conflicts that happen either within the church or those that uh, the church can and should uh, lovingly, responsibly address. Let me give you a quick word on this. And this is not a comprehensive thing. This is probably an entire sermon on its own. Um, but to what end, to what purpose is the church as a whole, as a community, meant to address conflict? Um, here are a couple of principles that guide us. Uh, first, we understand that sin leads to destruction. Sin that is unaddressed, sin that will not be repented of, uh, leads to destruction. It is poison to the soul, and therefore it's poison to the church. Uh, y'all, if, if I am living in a particular sin, not, not as the pastor, but just as a, as a fellow brother, but if I'm living in a particular sin, and the continuance of that sin is leading me further and further away from Jesus... It is the church's responsibility in love to come to me, to appeal to me, to help me, to bring me to recognition and repentance and restoration. Um, It's not none of y'all's business if you see me struggling and drifting away from the Lord. Now, how I respond is, is my own responsibility. And I may not respond favorably to you. 
but your goal has to be we love Kyle enough to lovingly address this in hopes that, that he will be restored both to Christ and to the church. See, there, there's, a, there's a place in, in Galatians 6 where Paul says that. If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you mature leaders of the church, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Um, so we see that. We see a, a spirit of gentleness, right? We're not walking around calling each other out, shaming each other. It's gentleness that guides the way. But what are we restoring that person to? We're restoring them to the loving fellowship of the church. And so there's a, there's a point at which there's conflict, there's abrasion in that. Nobody likes their sin being addressed. But we have to do it in love for one another because we care for each other's souls. We're not just individuals who happen to gather in the same building or over the same digital wavelengths week to week. And so if sin leads to destruction, and that destruction is not just a personal problem, but it affects the whole church, then the church is meant to be lovingly, gently, and graciously uh, restorative there. Okay? And we also understand, y'all, that conflict creates division. Sin and conflict create division. The church cannot be pure and holy and the light to the world that we're called to be if we're full of conflict and division. Paul mentions this back in the, the first part of Philippians 2, where he commands, he says, listen, for those of you who know and love Jesus Christ, he says, be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Your togetherness in mind, love, spirit, and purpose requires that you are together. You cannot be a divided bunch of individuals and somehow still achieve the purpose of the church. Uh, and so the, the love and the grace of Jesus is meant to be expressed in community. Otherwise, we will do what's natural. We will find, we will, uh, uh, find reasons to divide. We will accuse. We will blame. We will shift our problems around, uh, and, and we'll, we'll throw our hands up and leave. Because that's what sinners tend to do. And that's why we've got to be commanded otherwise. Conflict will divide us if it's not addressed as a community. We're all together on this, pursuing the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose. That's what honors the Lord. And that's what makes for a joyful um effective church. Uh, it's not that we just operate a lot of programs or have a lot of people or anything of the sort. It's that we are together in loving purpose, pursuing the Lord as one body. That's what makes a church uh, effective in ministry. And so, y'all, we when we talk about dealing with conflict in community, we understand it's not for the purpose of airing everybody's business out. We don't do that. In, in fact, the church ought to be known for our uh, discretion, our, our overlooking of transgressions in the sense that, that we're, not, we're not a people full of gossip. We're not a people looking to make accusation or to ruin people's uh, reputations. You know, we, we live right now in a cancel culture. Maybe you've heard that term. Where anything you've said or done, even if it was 10, 20, 30 years ago, if it can be dug up, we're going to use it to ruin you. <laughs> 
right? We're going to hold you accountable for everything that we deem to be wrong with you. Uh, there's no grace in that, of course, and that's not how the church operates. We're not, we don't, we don't go looking for conflict. We don't go looking for ways to, to pin each other against the wall. No, we go looking for grace and love. And in community, we push through conflict together for the glory of Christ and for the unity of the body. It's actually a wonderful thing. And so love and grace in the church work themselves out by us cherishing, loving, forgiving uh, each other uh, when we have complaint against anyone, right? Just as Colossians 3 said. And of course, in doing so, we're showing the light of the gospel, the power of Jesus. We're showing it to the world. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When the world around the church sees the church handling conflict in love, pursuing one another in grace, resolving in unity together, there's no explanation for that. That's not how nature works. That's not how human beings function. But that's how the church is meant to be, because Jesus Christ is our foundation. And so y'all come back with me to the beginning here. Uh, what I said at the beginning about conflict, it's generally very true, and probably true for us all, in one direction or the other. We learn to respond to conflict in two primary ways. We either rise up to crush it. We get loud. And we get after it. Or we retreat to avoid it. It's either fight or flight. But in Christ, we have a new way, an infinitely better way. Conflict is no fun. We wish it didn't exist. But in it, because it does exist, because it is a natural part of life and even a part of the church, in it we are given the opportunity to live out the love and the grace of Jesus together. In conflict, we actually have an opportunity to see the gospel of Jesus in real-life application, and in the end it makes us stronger, more loving, and better off. Y'all, there is a person, capital P, person, Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who entered into the ultimate conflict, a war against sin, death, and condemnation. And he took upon himself those things that he might do away with our penalty and give us life. See, we're, we were once at enmity with God, in conflict with God, but now no longer. We've been reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ, we are now God's children. That's what we've been given. That's why Paul says, Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Everything we need for reconciliation, we have been given as a gift by his grace. And now in him, we not only have peace with God, but we become peacemakers together. And we live in love and grace and peace as the family of God, the community of faith. Uh, Y'all, it's one thing to teach this and to talk about it. It is another issue entirely to actually live it out. And so what I need, and I suggest we all need it, we need to pray that God would bring this to bear in our hearts and that it would come to fruit 
at Harvest Church. Father, we, we've come this morning as needy people. Um, I'm needy in this, in this area. Uh, so often, my old way of thinking and being just rises up when there's conflict or even potential conflict, or even if I just make up conflict in my mind that doesn't even exist. I just do what comes naturally to me. I tell myself the story I want to hear. I turn the other person into my enemy. I, I make it about me getting my way, me prevailing. Um, rather than uh, asking the, the true and better questions. What does love look like? How is grace going to guide my thoughts and my behavior? What, what, would, what would Jesus Christ have to, to, uh, to say about this issue of my heart and this conflict? Um, he who has forgiven me, he who has loved me, he who has shed his grace upon me, why would, why would I insist on going back to the old way of thinking and being, a way that only tears down, that only destroys? When, Lord, you've given me the grace that builds up, the grace that heals, the grace that resolves. Help me, Father, to see this and to delight in a new way. Help us. When it comes to conflict, Lord, we, we, we wish it were just not somehow, somehow not a part of life. But Lord, as long as we're sinners, here it will be. And so help us to reconcile with that. It's going to happen. And therefore, Lord, let us, let us commit ourselves to a baseline of love. A, uh, um, a commitment to grace, a sharing as, as a church, that we're going to help each other to live in harmony and unity, that we're going to encourage one another day after day so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, but rather we would always be um, uh, illumined with the, with the light of Jesus. Lord, show us a better way. Show us a way, Lord, that will strengthen our relationships, that will deepen our love for one another. Not that we just get stuff behind us and try to move on, but that we actually grow through it. And Lord, let us be, as, as those who handle conflict graciously, let us be a light and a witness to the world. This is just not, this is not something naturally that we do well. And so the church, we have a wonderful opportunity here um, to, to humbly, lovingly uh, reveal the transforming work of Christ and how we operate. Uh, Father, where there is deep, painful conflict in our lives right now, whether inside the church or not, where there's deep and painful conflict. Uh, Father, um, minister well to our hearts that we don't, we don't just snap our fingers and somehow this all just happens, that we just, that it just, we magically become Christ-centered and it just 
resolves itself. Uh, Lord, this so often conflict is painful, hurtful, um, and and even if we try to make peace, Lord, the other person simply won't have it. And so, Lord, minister your mercy and grace to us in in cases like this, um, and give us the heart as a church to love one another well, to minister well, to counsel well, as you give opportunity. Uh, and Lord, I pray I pray you do resolve these hurtful conflicts, these deep conflicts, in a way that that reveals the treasure of Jesus Christ and his ability to bring reconciliation and hope. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself through the blood of your son Jesus on the cross. And therefore make us peacemakers in response to this grace that we've been given. We ask it in his awesome name. Amen.